The following interview was recorded for CFRO The Pulse, Vancouver Co-op Radio's daily news show. The Pulse airs Monday to Friday at 7 a.m. on 100.5 FM and streaming live at coopradio.org. I wanted to have today's conversation for a very long time and I'm excited that it's happening. Libby Davies was the Member of Parliament for Vancouver East, which includes the downtown east side, and represented the riding in Ottawa for 18 years. Before that, she was a city councillor. I asked Libby about how to make change. Because it can feel like now is a time of hopelessness. I sometimes lose faith in the idea that regular people can make things happen. But before I lost all of my optimism, I wanted to talk to someone who's advocated for change from the outside and also from the inside. During her time in office, Libby has fought some very hard battles, including the battle for Insight, North America's first legal supervised drug injection site. I asked Libby about cynicism, and I asked her also for a step-by-step guide to making political change. This is part one of our conversation. Here's Libby Davies. Libby Davies, what a pleasure to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here and chat with you. I was really excited for this conversation today because I see a lot of folks who have an idea of what the solutions are, but don't know how to go about getting those solutions implemented. Say if someone approaches you and says, I am concerned about the safety of myself and other women in my neighborhood. I'm concerned about my friends who are dying from the poison drug crisis. I'm sleeping on a friend's couch now, but who knows how long that couch is going to be available for. What would you say to that person? Well, uh, that would be quite a long conversation, Jenny. Um, But to begin at the beginning, I think, first of all, um, it's really important for people to know that engaging with the more formal world of politics, the political world, the political system, however we want to describe it, is actually really important because if we don't, if we, if we let ourselves be cynical and say we have no voice, we have no power, and nobody's going to listen to us, then what we're really doing is turning off and we're letting the people who do have power, who do have a voice, take over. So I think step number one in advocacy is actually um, coming to the idea with a sense of confidence that we can find our own voice, that we can work with other people who might be also working on whatever issue we're working on, and that we we can influence and change the political agenda. We can influence and change the decisions that people in power make, whether it's at the local level, at city hall, whether it's provincial or whether it's federal. As you've mentioned, I was a city councillor and a member of parliament, and I learned a lot both as a community organizer in the downtown east side in my younger days, but also as an elected person. I learned what I needed to know because I had to lobby too. I had to be an advocate even though I was elected. I had to learn how to advocate within the system and also work with the community. So to me, the first thing is, Um, recognizing that we can change things by taking on an issue and just working through it methodically and in a disciplined way. 
we can we can be supportive of each other. I mean, I get very frustrated and upset when I see people slagging each other on social media or wherever. You know, like we have more in common than we don't. And thirdly, um, learning how to both engage at the community level, sort of on the outside, if you will, in grassroots movements and politics, but also on the inside, finding out who our allies are. And um, I, I, I was interested to hear you say that, you know, you come across a lot of people who don't know where to begin. And I think this is very true. Most people that you talk to, they know what they want to do. They know what the solutions are, whether it's around homelessness, whether it's about sex worker rights, whether it's about a, a safer supply for drugs. People know what needs to be done. The hard part is knowing how to do it. That point you brought up, I think, is really important. This, you said right off the bat that the first step is knowing that we can make change, that we have the ability and power to make change through this process. And I want to poke on that a little bit because is that actually true? I talked to many people who say, I remember having this conversation with Garth Mullins of the Crackdown podcast. And I mean, Garth has been a tireless advocate, but I remember he said to me that substance users have the least power of anyone who will be sitting around a round table talking about issues affecting substance users. I mean, is there a sense really that any one of us or any group of us have the power to make change. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can, I can give you tons of examples and evidence. Uh, when Bandu began, the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, the first of its kind in North America, and we were fighting for um, a safe injection site now called Insight, um, it took a number of years. And, you know, for, for those folks, um, People who use drugs, it was very challenging because they were they were demonized, they were vilified. It was it was when I first got elected as MP, and and you know the common response to the issue of, of drug use was to you know get tougher laws, get more police, lock people up. I mean, it was a really hard battle. And so to to bring about insight, I you know in my book I outline how I worked with Vandu and what I think Vandu did, and it was because of their own voice, because of their own power, because they came together, because they figured out who their allies were, whether they were scientists or doctors or people like me, and and learned how to work with people and to influence that political agenda. So absolutely, no matter who you are, um, and in fact, the more sidelines you've been made to be by the system we live in, the more power to you to find that voice and to and to take on the political system. But you have to do it with a sense of purpose. You have to do it with a plan. It's not just a matter of, you know, having one demonstration or signing a petition or writing a letter. It's about setting up a plan that's very um, systematic. It's about gathering intelligence. It's about figuring out who is it that you're seeking to change their mind, you know, whether it's individual city councillors, whether it's the government as a whole, like you actually have to sit down and work it through the group that you're working with. And most people don't do that. It sort of becomes a very randomized thing. Um, whereas I think, you know, grassroots political action and, and social movements to change what's going on, it has to be a very structured, methodical, disciplined work and it's not it's not just about you know putting something on facebook um you know all of these things are 
can be helpful. But it's to me, it's more about learning about the relationships you have with other people who you're working with and learning who your adversaries are and even trying to find out how to work with, you know, how to convince those people. So working from the assumption, so say if I accept or maybe grudgingly accept that I too have power, even though despite maybe not feeling I have that way in the past. So say I accept that I have power to change the system. And then so I'm, I'm still sitting here with all these things that I want to change and not being sure how to go about it. Um, what's step one? Step one is, I think, finding other people that you want to work with so that you're not alone, right? Being alone makes it really tough. So having a core group, having a group, then finding other groups so that you're, you know, you're developing an overall campaign is really important. I think step two is um, defining the issue. Right. Like, what is it that you're immediately what is it you're wanting to do? And for some people, they cast that in such a big way that it makes it seem very unattainable. So, yeah, you know, I mean, when I first started working on the drug issue, I could have said, I want to end prohibition, which I did. Right. And many of the folks at Van do. That's what we wanted to do. We wanted to end drug prohibition and the criminalization of people who use drugs. Um, or for around sex worker rights, it was to stop the disappearances and to to change the criminal code. But to you know to state it that big makes it seem very overwhelming. So I think you have to then break it down into the steps that you want to take. Um, so for example, on on the issue around um, people who use drugs and and the, and prohibition, one of the one of the first big steps was to set up a safe injection site. And even within that, there were many, many things that needed to be done, lobbying, speaking, um, holding rallies, writing briefs, gathering evidence, um, working with um, the scientists who had evidence, looking at what had been done elsewhere, for example, in Europe. So again, the idea that you have to really be systematic about what you're doing because what you're because some of these issues that we're talking about are are really tough issues because they relate to people's moral judgment about things which is often very immoral right and and how they judge people and how we tend to demonize certain groups in our society um, and so changing those kinds of attitudes is not easy but if you have a concrete goal um for example, we want to open an overdose prevention site or we want to develop social housing or we want to create a safe space for women or sex workers or whatever it might be, then that's the point that you would begin. Then the third step, I would say, is then you have to figure out who has the decision-making authority to make that happen, right? So where is it that you need to go to um, to change whether it's a policy, whether it's a practice, whether it's a law that's unjust, um, whether it's law enforcement. I mean, you have to figure out what are the obstacles, right? Who 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 can make that decision, and what are the obstacles that are preventing that decision from being made? And once you've done that kind of intelligence gathering of defining your issue, breaking it down into kind of manageable bits figuring out who the players are, you know, who's stopping you from doing what you want that you know needs to be done. 
once you've gathered all of that, it's a bit like intelligence gathering, right? It's like solving a puzzle. Then you can develop a plan for how you're going to do it, right? Like, how are you going to communicate with people? How are you going to lobby people? Who do you lobby? How do you follow that up? Um, I mean, there are, and, and maybe this sounds like a lot to people. And I guess in one way, it is a lot because it's not for the faint hearted and it's not like big transformative change doesn't happen, you know, in a flash, right? Sometimes there are pivotal moments where there's a transforming moment. And we've seen that with things like Black Lives Matter. We've seen that with indigenous rights, for example. But mostly it's like slogging along. So you do have to be committed to be involved for a longer term, right? And and this is where sometimes people give up. And they'll say, well, I tried, you know, I, I went to city hall, I went to the city council meeting, I wrote a letter, et cetera, et cetera, and nothing happened. They don't, you know, it fell on deaf ears. Well, okay, fine. I mean, people can then move away if they wish. But if, if we're deeply committed about the changes that we know to be just and that we know need to happen um, to help people and to make sure that people are respected and their rights are upheld, then we have to keep at it, right? We have to keep figuring out what are the obstacles in, before of us and how do we how do we deal with those obstacles one by one? Thanks, Libby. I think that, I mean, you said a lot of things there. And one thing that really stood out to me is this idea of persevering for the long term, because I've certainly been guilty of that, you know, getting, you know, re- feeling strongly about an issue, doing one thing, um, writing an email to my MLA, and then sort of getting um, really frustrated. And then sort of just, well, storming off. Um, what I'm hearing is to really push on further. And the other, um, I want to ask you about this intelligence gathering that you talked about the barriers to um, the barriers to achieving what we want to achieve. And I want to ask you about sort of that morality piece that you touched on. For example, I think about decriminalization now, sort of the move to, to effectively decriminalize um, possession within the city of Vancouver. And I think that, that, that so much of that barrier is this sense of morality. Um, and how do, we, mm-hmm. how do we deal with that when it's not evidence-based and it's just, it's just, this, it's just a perception? Well, I think the most important way is for people to speak about their own experience as, as people, as human beings. Um, and like in the early days of Vandu, this was really, really important. Uh, I remember going to um, health board meetings with Bud Osborne and Anne Livingston and others. And, you know, sometimes the members of Vandu, they got screamed and yelled at by other people in the community who were like, you know, you're a bunch of assholes and get out of here. You're just druggies. We don't want you, you know, and it, it got very hostile and could be quite vitriolic and, and, and very hateful. And, um, but, but the more the, the members of Vandu spoke out about their own lives, their own experience, then it, it became a way to break down the stigma and the stereotypes. Unfortunately, we all live with stereotypes and some stereotypes are very harsh and and they're full of judgment, you know. Um, I've seen the same thing around the sex worker debate. But the more that people themselves speak out with their own voice, because no one can take that away from you. You know, I always used to say this to people in Ottawa who were wanting to come to Parliament Hill and speak on. I'd I'd always say when you speak about your own experience, 
no matter who you're speaking to, nobody can take that away, right? It's your experience. It's your truth. Nobody can undo that. And so that, that, um, that voice becomes very important to breaking down um, some of those judgments that, that the media often um, characterizes, right? I mean, when I sometimes read the media about the downtown east side, I want to scream because it's so pejorative. You know, they'll talk about, you know, the down and out neighborhood and, you know, the plague neighborhood. And, you know, they make out like, you know, you know, everything is just doom and gloom. Well, as we know, it's actually a community where there's a lot of strength. There's a lot of resilience. There's a lot of people who have resisted being gentrified, who've resisted being dismantled and having their place taken away from them. So there's lots of, um, you know, amazing stories. So I think to deal with that sort of judgment, you have to have faith in your own, your, your own community, your own voice, and to know that you are speaking truth, right? And that that is very powerful. And the more that that happens, the more it begins to change the balance of what goes on, whether how it's portrayed in the media or the person who's receiving the information that you're giving, because it becomes authentic, it becomes real and something that can't be dismissed. So I, I would say that's a very important, important qualitative thing that happens when we're working for change. It's not just about you know, a few words on a page or a slogan. It's about people's experience coming forward and being spoken. And sometimes that's really hard for people to do. And I've always had the greatest respect for people who have been able to speak about very painful and sometimes traumatic experiences in their own lives to be able to share that. You know, when I think of Bud Osborne's poetry, for example, in the downtown east side, I think it inspired hundreds and hundreds of people to feel the courage that they could speak out to about what had happened to them and how they felt and how they were stigmatized. And it began to change the debate. It changed the debate about what was going on in Vancouver. And in many ways, the downtown East side has always led that, right? It's always been a very enduring um, quality of, of, of political change in Vancouver. And it's, it's very important. We should be very proud of it. Let me ask you a little more about that, Libby. Because I think about the emotional cost of someone sharing this story. When I, as a journalist, ask someone to share their experience, I know that it costs them emotionally to recount an often traumatic experience. And in a political sphere where there's a perception that some, if not many, politicians already have a bias one way or another, and many have stereotypes about marginalized groups. If we ask people to share their story, do we have confidence that politicians are actually listening? Well, politics is a very dynamic thing. If it was static and nothing changed, we never would have won anything, whether it's over 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, or 500 years, you know? Change transformative change comes about because people have been able to come together, been able to raise their point of view and influence and change what goes on. And that means that other people have had to hear that. And I have to say, Jenny, that I think most elected people, we all have our biases, you know, everybody does. And 
you know, people belong to different political parties and they might have different opinions about things. But I have to say this, politics is very dynamic. It's very subject to change. You know, even when Gordon Campbell was the premier, um, he ended up supporting uh, the safe injection site. Right. It was not something that was expected of the liberal government of the day. The same is true in Ottawa. And so when I I can certainly understand that people might feel demoralized and that they're really putting themselves out there. And that's real. I mean, that's something that we have to be very um, aware of and we have to support people when they are putting themselves out there. But by doing so, they are actually creating a different kind of space that the change can take place. And I would say that, you know, the personal interactions when you meet an elected representative and they hear maybe what your particular situation is, you know, that's very real. It cannot be dismissed. Now, maybe the first time somebody's skeptical, right? But eventually, you know, kind of the light bulb goes on. That's how change happens. When people realize that what they've been told, what they believe, what they've been said, you know, is, is not real. It's not, it's not evidence-based. It's not really what's going on. And we're, we're all capable of, of having different responses and learning. I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I don't think I could have been working for almost 50 years as a social activist. If I didn't believe that anything could change, if I didn't believe that we can't change the political system and the way people respond to issues, then I guess I've wasted 50 years of my life, but I haven't. I know that because I can see the changes that have taken place while noting that there's still a lot more to, to be done. So it is, it is kind of a lifelong thing. You know, you have to be committed um, and you have to take heart and courage and pride from the changes that have come about and use that to understand how to bring about more change. Right. So it's not just like a, you know, a one time thing. This is an ongoing process. So I hope that helps you and helps other people think about it in kind of a longer term, more philosophical way. Um, It is worth it, you know, because we, as I said at the beginning, we know what we want. We know what's what's right. It's a matter of figuring out the system um, that sometimes oppresses us, sometimes tries to silence us. And it's to figure out how to how to how to move within that, how to find the allies, how to find all the little bits and pieces on the inside and the outside that will actually change attitudes. And and even sometimes attitudes don't matter so much. It really comes down to practice, to the law, to policies. Right. I don't, I don't really care what politician X or Y thinks personally. I don't, you know, I can't control that. What what I can try and influence is how they is how they act in terms of how they vote or what kind of policies they're willing to support or not. Right. So it is it is very evidence based, but it's also very human based in that the those personal stories, um, you know, people's lived experience is, I think, a, a very core element of bringing about transformative change. And that was part one of our conversation with former MP for Vancouver East, Libby Davies. She gave us a step-by-step guide to making political change. Stay tuned for part two next week. 
You're listening to The Pulse on CFRO, your super local morning news show here on Vancouver Core Radio 100.5 FM. I'm Jenny Tan Macy. And as always, please tell us what you think of the show. I'm very curious. I'm at Macy at coopradio.org. That's M-E-I-X-I at coopradio.org. Happy Lunar New Year. Take care. CFRO The Pulse is brought to you by the Local Journalism Initiative, a program funded by Heritage Canada and administered through the Community Radio Fund of Canada.